0: Live from Rivendell, this is Guerrilla Train the Fight. So, hello, Tim. Hey, Nick. This has been... Okay. We don't normally have good... Places podcast, but this is pretty awesome. This is the best place we've been to since
1: oh, since Care Paravel. I know
0: we're hanging out, we're singing songs, lots of songs.
1: Yes, lots, lots, lots. Of lots music. of food. Mm, oh, awesome food.
0: <laughs> lots of stories that are sung. I mean,
1: <laughs> they they pretty much sing all the time around yeah, here. Yeah, uh, no, and it'd get a little monotonous if it if it wasn't a new song like every minute. Yeah, and yeah, they're they're pretty awesome. They're pretty yeah. yeah. Very, so very fair and Thankfully, thankfully, we actually came to Rivendell prepared this time.
0: Yeah, we we know we, we wanted to bring our interviewee to, with us, but we're we, going to get two tickets to Rivendell. That's true. So yeah, we should go ahead and just introduce our story school. All right. So this is a pre-recorded interview we had with uh, Dr. Pamela Jordan Long. Uh, my English professor when I was at Taylor, and she's in charge of uh, the writing major at uh, Fort Wayne. Yeah, so and enjoy is a very good interview. We'd like to welcome Dr. Pamela Jordan Long, chair of the professional writing major at uh, Taylor University Upland. Um, and also director of the Center for Study of C.S. Lewis and Friends. Uh, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, it's our pleasure. This is the first time we have like a genuine celebrity on the show. Yeah. I feel like <laughs>
2: <laughs> a celebrity.
0: <Yeah. laughs> Doctor uh, Jordan was uh, my teacher in several classes when I was in school at Taylor Fort Wayne. Uh, did you? You never had her, did you, Tim?
1: Uh, no, I was not in the professional writing at the time. Although I did accidentally ask her out on a date
0: once. <laughs> well, i don't know anything about that <laughs> well that's
1: another story <laughs> uh,
0: yeah so we brought dr jordan in today because um we're talking about world building secondary worlds and she's been teaching the fantasy writing class there at taylor that if you've been listening to podcasts i've mentioned that i've been helping out uh looking over the stories um so i guess i want to ask you first just um, the term "secondary world" that's what you use, correct? Yes. But I was talking to tell about He had never quite used that, uh, heard that term. So maybe you can explain it for our audience.
2: Well, sure. Uh, I think my inspiration comes from C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. R. Tolkien uh, because they use that language. And the uh, idea in any speculative fiction is that there is another reality or another world. And uh, when someone wants to write a piece of fantasy or a speculative fiction, uh, he, she needs to create a secondary world, something other than the primary world, which is the world that we're living in and existing in. Uh, the foundational premise of fantasy is that it um, it's possible in this other world. And it's believable and credible in this other world, hence a secondary world.
0: Now, also, and I was thinking, maybe I'm incorrect, does the secondary world also tend to imply for Lewis and Tolkien the fact that truth is inherent in our primary one?
2: Well, I don't know that they would argue that that's a necessity for a secondary world. It certainly is in the secondary worlds that they create okay, uh, in their fiction. Um, but to get back to the other point, yes, they do believe that truth is foundational in the primary world, that truth exists. There is truth with a capital T. Uh, and they believe that that truth can be projected and presented viably in a secondary world Good.
0: Um, when you're teaching um the the fancy writing class you I know you go through do you still use Orson Scott's cards book
2: yes mm-hmm.
0: um what's the title of that just for our reader
2: um, well the whole title is it's pretty simple how to write science fiction <laughs> and fantasy <laughs>
0: nice um. You go through a lot of different aspects of world building and secondary worlds. I guess, I'm curious, what what parts of that have you found that people were really attracted to or really maybe hesitant about in creating a, in a secondary world? Have you noticed any trends?
2: Well, there's uh, no wrong or right way uh, to do it. If you're talking about C.S. Lewis, it was a picture in his mind. He even has an essay titled, It All Began With a Picture. mm mm-hmm. Uh, and then he just kind of goes, well, where would this picture exist? Um, what kind of world would it be in? He starts with an image and moves from there. Orson Scott Card tends to draw sketches and maps and think, oh, hmm, what could take place in this <laughs> thing I've just created? So it tends to be visual. For Tolkien, it, it really seriously was some doodling on a student's paper. Um, and uh, it just was the, a word, a phrase. A, a hobbit uh, lived in a hole. And from hmm. that, get a whole world. So it doesn't happen the same for every writer, but it's my argument and, and what I rather insist that my students do is that you have to create the world before you can write the story. You may have story ideas, but if you're really going to move through uh, creating a viable story, you have to know this world that it takes place in. So you become a sub-creator as, um, in the language of Tolkien. And uh, so you get to create this secondary world, this other world, mm-hmm. its rules, its landscape, its people, its history, its culture, its religion all of the story. And then when you know that world really well, then you can tell your story. You can create a plot and events that happen in it.
1: I'm curious, since I know a lot of the students that come to Taylor for writing are probably highly influenced by Lewis and and Tolkien. Do you ever have any of your students kind of struggling to get past kind of the great, you know, Narnia and Middle Earth. Since these are these great things, do you, do they ever have a trouble getting past what's already been done, or do they generally have lots of ideas that they can't get them all down on paper?
2: Uh, actually, they don't. Uh, they don't tend to have too much trouble coming up with ideas, and uh, most are pretty familiar with Tolkien and Lewis. But uh, I actually have some who have never read either or anything by either. Wow. And I actually had one in class this past semester who hadn't seen any of the movies either. Really? So that that does happen. <laughs> um, but we actually start this particular class uh, with a lot of what-if questions, and uh, some of them are pretty outlandish, and we just kind of off-the-cuff walk into the room at the beginning of class and just ask a what-if question. Just really the way most um, fantasy and speculative fiction gets written. Well, what if? What if there was uh, a creature called a hobbit who (laughs) lived in a hole? What would that be like? And what kind of world would he, she live in? And what would the history be? What if there was a history for other planets as there is a history for Earth? What if God created uh, life on Venus and There was such a thing as an unfallen planet, Then you get uh, Lewis's science fiction trilogy. Uh, What if I walked into the classroom today, and one of my students was suddenly invisible? (laughs) Uh, What if uh, aliens came to Earth, and they uh, took over our bodies? (laughs) So you just start with a what if question and, and go from there.
1: Nick's laughing here because you've touched on, well, a couple of things that we've talked about. Well, what if is actually the name of a segment we sometimes do, although the questions we oppose are not actually all as useful as probably the ones you just did.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but uh, but it, it's just fun to talk about. Like, what, well, the, one we, the first one we did was, what if Tolkien wrote Star Wars? And <laughs> that was just so we had just had a really fun discussion on the, some of the ramifications of you know, the different worldviews and stuff. Um, but you also touched on uh, Lewis's science fiction trilogy, which I'm now rereading, um, mainly so I can read That Hideous Strength, which I never had gotten to before. Um, mm-hmm. And just really enjoying it. But And you actually answered a question that we had thought about, is if you would consider that a secondary world.
2: Yeah, That Hideous Strength or the
1: well, uh, I was, I was planets thinking, in that? Yeah, I was thinking Paralandra and the planets, because oh, sure. that's where I'm at right now.
2: Well, yes, in the sense that um, as far as we know scientifically, uh, there isn't that kind of life on Mars or Venus. Uh, and so what if, what if there were inhabitants? What if God created a different kind of inhabitant for each of those planets? What if each planet was a world of its own? And in that sense, yes, you do. The, um, world of speculative fiction, uh, deals with preternaturals, or if it's science fiction, I mean, basically by definition, it's something that is possible, could happen, mm-hmm. um, but hasn't happened or doesn't happen. And, you know, there, science fiction certainly has evolved. But science fiction tends to present some kind of scientific explanation, uh, but even in Lewis's trilogy, there's a scientific explanation in the sense that we have these two scientists to kidnap Ransom and take him up to Mars. And on Mars, we discover life.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one, one more question about the space trilogy, and then I'll let Nick go on to something else. Another thing I remarked to him earlier today was that it's interesting that we don't have as many people, I mean, there's some people who try to emulate Narnia or Middle Earth, but not as many Followers or imitators of the space trilogy or really Christian science fiction for that matter What why do you think that might be is it what it seems kind of neglected in Christian speculative fiction?
2: I think because science fiction what was science fiction. Well, for example, let's go back to uh, Perilander or the uh, out of the silent planet We now know scientific fact that that couldn't happen True <laughs> Uh, and, and so I think with the advances in uh, science, especially space travel, because a lot of science fiction has been space travel-like, mm-hmm. and we now know that uh, that's not very plausible. So the idea, or at least the way Lewis presented his speculative fiction, would be very palpable. Um, to go with a Star Trek, a Star Wars the idea that we have that's way off in the future and space travel is just taken for granted and we know how it would happen and we have things like time warps and we jump <laughs> light speed I think Christians probably don't find that a very tenable field and I'm not quite sure why I think most Christians are a little more comfortable with things that might be A secondary world that might parallel our primary world. It's uh, something that took place in the historical past. Mm. Um, We go back to a place like Red Wall, for example, Mm -hmm. and that seems a little more comfortable to them. They're not as comfortable creating other beings that are not human, and that might have to do with their theology and the idea that, you know, God created man in his own image. And as far as we know, he didn't create other beings. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it might have something to do with that, but I don't think I've got a really good answer. Um, that's just kind of off the top of my head.
0: Makes sense. Actually, that leads into a question I was going to propose, or anyway, ask. When creating the world, obviously, Christians have a, a certain theology of things they, you know, certain things they'll play with and certain things they won't play with in the world. And the, well, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about God and fiction. And I know that oftentimes trying to figure out how to put God into these fantasy worlds is a, is a thing that I see show up, at least in the, in the stories I read from the classes. Um, do you guys talk about options for that in, in the classroom? Or does everyone just come, kind of come at it from their own angle?
2: Um, most of the students come at it from their own angle. We do talk about it. And, uh, you know, my argument is that you can convey truth without mentioning God. You can have Christian themes and ideology without, uh, using the the name God or Jesus or Lord or Christ. Uh, and a prime example would be, um, Lewis's Lord of the Rings. That's, that's a very Christian in terms of the ideology and the value system and it's a it's a kind of theistic world view in that particular piece of fiction I think we struggle with a, what do we call Christian fiction and how is that defined and it's I don't think there's one single good definition and I think you'll find arguments from all kinds of folks about what is and what isn't
0: yeah, we've, mm-hmm. we've had some of those here on the podcast so. <laughs> sure.
2: yeah. It doesn't have to be a gospel Or a piece of evangelism. It can be what we know is true. It can be a piece of fiction that purports Christian values and right values and right choices and things that would be God-honoring in terms of behavior.
0: Now, I might know what you're going to say now, having heard that, but does the issue of magic come up then in context of the class?
2: Well, we talk about magic. One of the rules for um, creating a uh, sustainable secondary world, a viable secondary world, is to establish the rules of magic. How is magic going to operate in this world? What does it cost? Card deals with that. He has a whole segment Mm -hmm. in uh, his second chapter on, you know, what is the cost of magic? And I think, again, we're talking about terms. Magic in itself Uh, is a pretty neutral term, and it's not Christian or non-Christian. Magic can be defined as uh, something that doesn't have a scientific explanation, and that in itself is not Christian or non-Christian. If you look at the Chronicles of Narnia, there's uh, a good magic and a bad magic, and actually the word magic is associated with the acts of Aslan and Um, The emperor over the sea, beyond the sea, who is the creator? And so there's nothing sacrilegious about that in my mind. It's a way for um, others to take hold of Christian truth and Christian ideology. The Christianity in the Lord of... um, I'm sorry, the Chronicles of Narnia is pretty overt. uh, And if you can't see the parallels, biblical parallels, then you haven't read the Bible. (laughs) Um, But notice that Aslan talks about a deeper magic. He's talking about grace. He's talking about redemption. Mm -hmm. So I I don't get too stuck on the term magic. Um, But if you're going to use magic, then you have to decide how it's going to operate. And it probably has some limitations. There are things that magic can and can't do. You don't want to just explain things away. and Oh, suddenly somebody has the power to fix this problem (laughs) if you haven't already established that. Mm. So you certainly just want to be consistent.
0: No, I, I agree with that. I I was just curious to hear your your explanation when you, because you have your students build the world because it's important to know the world well before you can mm-hmm. put a plot on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know I I have various uh, writing friends who do their world building completely different from from each other. I mean I'm curious do do um, do you find that in, that once you build the world that people get lost in minutia and then have trouble getting the big story theme character going or is it does it come pretty naturally for to the students once they get the i guess what i'm saying is there you know you you build in the world and sometimes i know people get lost in the world um <laughs> and then and then, exactly and then it's hard to get a a, a coherent plot out of it um and um, does that i mean
2: hmm. no i don't i haven't really found that but you know remember i'm working with a, a group of pretty elite students i mean they've already written and published yeah and, they manage a the fiction writing class successfully. And they have some experience, uh, so it's not just somebody trying her hand at fantasy. Or I think I feel like writing a piece of speculative <laughs> fiction. Um, so uh, they can't get down to business, in you know the uh, artificial environment of being in a course and having to complete things by the end of a semester in a fourteen-week period—that kind of um, is a motivator or a push.
0: Deadlines Uh, are good.
2: In in itself. Um, But I make them spend time with their secondary world thinking it through. And most of them so far have had a plot idea before they've had a world idea. Okay. And so I kind of make them take a step back and think about, okay, it sounds like a good story, but where does it happen? And what kind of world is this? Who populates it? That will help you explain character motivation and... Which you've got to have that, I mean, you really don't have much
0: of a plot, <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, all the ones I've read, I've really enjoyed mm-hmm. It's It's quite a
2: it's, cushy yeah, job, it's been quite an array, and everything has been unique
0: and different, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's always the surprising first chapters I get what which directions are going, and some of them get very you can tell they've planned a very large history for their world, and other people, mm-hmm. you know, just have a nice environment.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Let me pose a similar question to what Nick said, but with a little different spin on it. Um, I read in, in, in a book by Kevin Murphy of Mystery Science Theater Through Thousand Fame about, he was writing about some of his theater-going experiences, and he wrote about when he went to see the premiere of The Fellowship of the Ring in theater, uh-huh. and how he got, he was standing in line behind these fanboys who were kind of debating about, you know, how Gandalf got to the soar and who was really at the the river outside of Rivendell, and and stuff like that. Um, and the authors got to thinking about how he used to kind of obsess over the same sort of details when he used to read the books in college. And then after a certain point, he got kind of uh, got his fill of it and decided that he to go on to other kinds of movies and stories that he felt had more real human action rather than kind of handling on these Vanusha. So I guess that and that kind of made me wonder, in terms of from a audience perspective, how much escapism is too much? How much uh, do we get caught up in this world and not have a? Uh, how do we maintain the balance between actually, you know? having this world mean something in, you know, in God's real world, if that makes any sense. <laughs>
2: um, I think, let me attempt to kind of rephrase that.
1: Sure, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm answering what you're asking. Uh, let me take a step back and, and say that we, we know that um, Tolkien was interested in minutiae because of all of his notebooks and all of the backstory story that he created oh, yeah. and that he spent so much time editing The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But he didn't lose sight of his story or his plot or his characters. And if you were only reading The Lord of the Rings, then you wouldn't have that same impression of the idea of the too much detail, too much history, too many names, too many places, too many stories. Um, but it's because we have all of that that we know that he, you know, had a difficult time letting go and finally getting the thing to press. He kept wanting to tinker with it. Um, so having said that, I I think what you're asking is, is it possible for someone to get so caught up in just experiencing these secondary worlds that he or she can kind of lose sight of why he was reading in the first place or what the story, what value the story might have?
1: Hmm. Or just kind of the, like, I, I know, like when I was in high school, I had to take kind of take a step back out of Star Wars for a bit because it just got too wrapped up. It was consuming too many of my thoughts. Okay. Yeah. So well, that's why I'm wondering.
2: Sure. Um. Actually, uh Tolkien talks about the Good Escape, which he uses a term for called eucatastrophe, and there there are two things that happen. First of all, as a reader and a professor of literature for many years, I believe in the value of story and the richness that literature brings to our lives. And I think that anytime we enter into a piece of well-written fiction, that that can be a life-giving experience for us and a good escape. But the point that comes down on is that what makes it a good escape is that it brings us back to the real world or the primary world with fresh eyes, with a new perspective, with a better understanding of ourselves and the world around us. I think an example that, that might be meaningful to the audience here is the idea of reading The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings and meeting the Ents and thinking about a tree as having life and a personality. So when I'm taking a walk in the woods the next time and I look at the trees, my imagination is awake. And I look at those trees differently now because I encountered a fictional tree, if you will, in Tolkien's story. So I've come back to this primary world enriched and enlightened, and the value of good literature is that it makes us more human. It it makes us better people. We, We have more to offer others we place the right kind of value on things if we're reading things that are worth reading
1: mm-hmm. like that yeah that makes a lot of sense it reminds me of uh some chesterton story i read where uh there was just some line about yeah like how a good story will help the real world seem more full of wonder whereas a false story will just
0: make you not interested in the world at all um, yes yes okay i guess uh, one one last uh, kind of a bonus question well, a uh, secondary world we'd like to spend time in that's not written by Tolkien or Lewis. Hmm.
2: <laughs> well, I have to say that something like um, a Star Wars secondary world would frighten me a little too much. <laughs> I don't want to go there?
1: Understandable. Yes. Um,
2: so I, I probably, uh, and even in, I think the uh, world of Avatar is just gorgeous, stunningly beautiful. Um, but that's a little scary for me too I don't want to be in Jurassic Park either (laughs) so let me Find some more pleasant place I can I can live where I uh, let's see when in
0: the Willows. There we go.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. E- yeah might um, those animals talking? Might I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I just want to go with Beatrix Potter. I <laughs> want to go to the Hundred Acre Wood and. Yeah, there you go. That'd Maybe be a I nice place. Yeah, I want to go to to Winnie the Pooh's Hundred Acre Wood.
0: Oh, that'd be a relaxing place to go. I like yeah. that.
1: I, yes. that's, that's hard to argue with. <laughs> anything really most disney related worlds you know
0: yeah all right right. well thank you very much uh we really appreciate your time and your uh insight yeah
1: and uh any uh summary words uh like special plugs for taylor you want to throw in here
0: (laughs) well uh,
2: are we recruiting students sure (laughs) (laughs) well you know you can study uh writing here and you you really do it Uh, we're not just talking about it we do it But um, seriously, for those who are interested in um, Tolkien and Lewis and Charles Williams and Chesterton, some names that we've uh, mentioned tonight, if we're going to talk about fantasy, we have to talk about George MacDonald. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do have a
0: special collection.
2: (laughs) On uh, those authors here called the Brown collection and it's open uh, every afternoon so welcome to come to Taylor and visit you can find out about it on the Taylor website Uh, you do need to go to the if you type in the search to find it just type in CS Lewis and you'll get to information in our website um, about the Center and uh, we welcome guests all the time some fun stuff to look at including manuscripts and first editions and um, letters so we're very happy to share that.
0: It is it, a very cool collection. It is a very nice
1: collection. Mm-hmm. Do you still have that like bar piece that was Lewis's, I think? The,
2: yes, we have a pub, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: or pub furniture.
0: Nice, nice. Is that from the the Inklings, I think?
2: No, um, the uh, collector, who uh, Dr. Brown, for whom the collection is named, uh, had started this collection of first editions of Lewis's work and he found he found pieces of a uh, pub furniture the bar okay. the main piece and uh, had it in his basement where he had the copies of um the first editions so when he sold the um collection well at least the initial parts of the collection to us he decided that the furniture needed to come with. So. <laughs> That's why we have a pub at Taylor.
1: Nice. Nice. <laughs> Which is against the LTC the to actually drink.
2: Oh, right. Um, yeah. It, the uh, sign above it says free beer tomorrow and tomorrow never comes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. That's All good. right. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks, guys. It was fun to talk to you.
0: All, All
1: right, right. we're so back. We're back here so, in Rivendell, in the land of singing elves and falling leaves. So,
0: and- actually, I just got—I just got done wiping my eyes. They told me the story of Turin, Turin, Bomb. Oh, it's so sad.
1: Oh, I—I I must have tuned that through that. I was too busy listening to the interview, which is oh, really nice. It was
0: really nice and probably probably uh, more entertaining than not well more uplifting, uplifting. yeah and but, i know tim and i thought that the interview was nice because it was like hey we know what we're talking about
1: yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah this very experienced professor just like validated everything that we've been saying <laughs> <laughs> so if you think you're we're wrong we're not <laughs> and if not you can take it up with the elves. they will have a word with you that's
0: sure they will oh. um we'll go ahead and go with our first soundtrack
1: soundtrack Andrew, almost sounds like some of the elvish music here i don't know if you noticed that <laughs> or if not elvish music some of the human music and yeah that's <laughs> details details anywho um I, I guess i've got the first soundtrack today and i decided to go with a song um you know back when we did our uh, brainstorming uh section we talked about how music can help us come up with things, that was sort of dates back to a writing exercise from your uh, writing group. I made a
0: very interesting CD with uh, songs that I think actually a number of people came with ideas from.
1: Yes. Well, and after you left that that writing group, which coincidentally and I think we've mentioned before, was also called Derailed Trains of Thought. No relation.
0: Okay. <laughs> sort of. All, all, all the relation. Just stealing names, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, clones, actually.
1: Um, but after, after uh, when our friend Aaron Brosman took leadership of that, he also did the same sort of exercise and made his own CD. See, he likes
0: music as much as I do in the creative <laughs> process.
1: Yeah. And that's where I first heard my choice for soundtrack this time. It's from that uh, story song CD from 2003. The name of the remix is Crying Mountain, and it's from Croner Trigger. In case you don't know, Croner Trigger has fabulous music. Yes. Which I thought that we'd use it all the time. Then I realized, no, actually, it's been quite a while since we had a Croner Trigger soundtrack. I mean, like until you used last it. Last episode. Last episode, <laughs> right. But yeah, fabulous soundtrack. And I've always meant, I'd always love to write or read... A story based on this song, because it always makes me think of like some place you know, not unlike where we are at now, some epic faraway kingdom that is in the middle of a vast battle to maintain its existence. Actually, your story, King Shield, would be sort of in the same sort of spirit I would That's see in this story based on this song. So I hope you enjoy. It's a beautiful song uh, remixed by Psycho, much more pronounceable name than his uh, real name, so I won't even <laughs> attempt it. Uh, But this is Crying Mountain. So I hope you enjoyed that. Go battle down the hatches and stuff like that. That's That sounds like a parody thing. That's not what I meant, but, you know, go be chivalrous and stuff. That's what makes me think of.
0: That's good. All right. We will then go to... Uh... That's very special. What if? We decided today, since we were talking about world building and, you know, creating a secondary world that's uh, logically consistent, internally consistent, Mm -hmm. um, that we'd kind of uh, exchange uh, what-if questions about uh, creating a world. Because a lot of worlds come from asking what-if, as Dr. Jordan uh, mentioned. Yeah, which I thought was really cool that she actually said that and we had no idea that was, you know, that's the name of our segment. Yeah, I mean, no one names segments what-if. <laughs> okay. Uh, We're so, really goofy today. So I'm wired this evening. I don't know what is up. I'm, I I'm st- no longer teaching and I have a lot of free time to- well, I don't actually have that much free time, but I have a lot more brain time. Well that's
1: obvious because you keep sending me like <laughs> all sending all kinds of ideas about uh, our various projects. And like I think you posted more ideas in the last two weeks than they had in the past month.
0: It's probably true, yeah. But, I, having time frees my mind up. My uh, mind works very quickly. But anyways, so what if so we'll start with uh, questions? Tim, shall I start with? Go for it. Okay, so I've had this long-standing idea that I've, I've used in various short stories. But I'll ask you, what? How would you create a world, or what sort of a uh, world would it be if you could live inside a cloud? Like, like it was more. I mean, it was still cloudy, but yeah. it was, uh, you know, it could support your weight. You could carve rooms out of it. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you're
1: not thinking like Care Bears here. You're, or... No, I'm thinking
0: like, like you could make rooms out of it. You okay. could. I mean, obviously you couldn't necessarily control them hmm so that's interesting
1: that's an interesting <laughs> one because you're talking about uh something that is normally uh something that has no substance basically yeah so are you thinking shapes i'm, I'm trying to i'm, trying no, to I'm thinking like actual like they're in the sky and you uh-huh. can just well here's okay
0: so i had this idea
1: like obviously you have something for, a vision for well not, that not I, necessarily I I, i'm
0: not curious a long time ago i was driving well Here's how it came about. We were at Honda Homecoming, which is this big uh, event for Honda, and we were, and I was driving. We were going back and forth from our hotel, and I was in the back of the truck, sitting in the bed of the truck, and looking up at the sky and watching the clouds. And I was thinking, what if you could live in one of those clouds? And then I had this idea of a story, which I never end up writing, though I, had, I think I wrote a couple pages of it, where this family was like destitute and they were going to get kicked out of their home, and then this cloud fell down on the ground and they lived in it. Interesting. Uh, and then things like that have shown up in various pieces of my other works. Uh-huh. Um, Pan- Lunatic Pandora has clouds falling down. There's a cloud motif in uh, Local Man Struck by Lightning Survives uh-huh. that are left over from this very powerful image I had in my head. So okay. i just curious what you would do with it.
1: I wonder if like there'd be different areas like uh, the darker the area of a cloud the denser it is so the more it would support your weight okay whereas like lighter portions you might actually like slip like you might be in danger of slipping through if you didn't
0: walk carefully yeah. enough i don't know i don't if what do you do a story with like just one it's a unique thing like just one person has found out how to do it or that it was like something like the rich and famous do um, uh, I don't think I'd do a rich and famous sort of thing. I'd I'd either
1: do an unique individual sort of thing. Like it'd be kind of cool to see a Johnny Appleseed sort of you know mythic tall tale sort of figure who's able to do this. That'd be great, tall tale. That would be. Um, or the complete flip side, where it's a whole civilization, which could be interesting. But then, like you scorched
0: all... earth, so they all live in the clouds.
1: Yeah, something like, like that.
0: Oh, dystopian. <laughs> Although it'd be, well, okay. I'm very happy to, a chipper dystopian. <laughs> where it's always sunny.
1: It's always sunny. Although, see, that's the interesting thing. I wonder if if it was a civilization, I suppose then maybe it would be very telling, like, the, the higher, the more well-to-do, higher society is up, you know, closer to the sun and lower societies and like, down the depths down where all the rainwater is kept and so forth. Okay, yeah. So...
0: It could It'd be a very nomadic society.
1: It could be. Yeah, it, it could very well be. Go on the airstreams back and forth. Uh-huh. Or... See, the tricky thing is, I would suppose if it's a civilization, you, they would have some way of controlling the clouds. So oh, that's I, true. So then I'm like, well, how do you do that without it seeming too much like airbending or waterbending? Oh, I see, yeah. From like,
0: you know, Avatar Land. Well, I suppose you just told but maybe there's just, they took... Cover there, and then they're just kind of blown. Yeah, I I can see a theme of that being kind of being blown by the winds. That you're just at the mercy of. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, that so maybe you're how if you're like being stranded blown on by an the, island, but everyone's stranded on an island. Uh huh.
1: But I would imagine if 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 they're blown by the winds a lot, then they don't really have much control over. They probably can't make shapes out of their houses and cloud houses. Well, online. I guess
0: you could make shapes. I guess you could make sails. But I suppose. Oh. Okay. I, well, maybe you know clouds are always shifting. Maybe you could make a shape, but over days they would slowly. Oh, transform transform, take different... Okay, so... So you're constantly uh, working it into some semblance of a... Uh-huh. And I guess it's almost like being on a... You could run it almost like being on a deserted island, except you're floating around and you're meeting other islands. I was just going to say, it's still thinking Paralandra, of course. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: sort of like Lewis's floating Islands, oh, yeah, where yeah. like the landscape kind of takes the shape of the waves that it's on top yeah. of. So... I, I the clouds, think kind of, you know, there could be a, there could be something there. That's that's a very interesting idea, actually.
0: Or a world where, like, you know, maybe there is no land. Mm-hmm. Oh, as in, so sort of like
1: water ruled, except in the sky. I guess so. Oh, that could be interesting too. this like, on, uh, like, on a gas giant, yeah, okay, like, if yeah, you, if yeah. you could inhabit Jupiter or something, which is all gas. Yeah. Okay. So you can make it sci-fi that way. That's true. That way it would be sci-fi. That's an interesting perspective on it. Because I don't think, aside from Cloud City, I don't know that there's been too many uh, stories about colonies on gas giants. That's true. That's interesting. All right. Well, that's our first question. Now, are you expecting me to come up with with another what-if question? Or Um, did you have,
0: like, several? Oh, I have have another one that's very not well-defined. Oh, go for it. Okay. So, I'm always fascinated with this idea of connections, of, like, people being connected in some way. And I was just very vaguely wondering when I was trying to think of what ifs, but connection, I, and I'm not sure exactly what I mean by it yet, but say you were born and then everyone has some one they're connected to like emotionally or phys- or not physically, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, but like they can sense them and they can, but maybe it's just random people across the world. I mean, what would that, like oh, I'm born here and mine, I don't know how I find, you know, whether you can tell their proximity or not, I don't know, or maybe you just feel what they're feeling. So it, it's very vague, but then do you, you know, do some people then choose to go find them? Do someone find their love that way? Do someone find, like, worse enemies? I mean, do someone just try to ignore it? Oh, interesting. So random, empathetic connection. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Be the randomness adds a whole new uh, element, element to it. To yeah. It. You know, then you have to have, then you have a choice about what you're going to do with it.
1: Mm hmm. Whether you're going to relate to this person or whatnot.
0: Then. Yeah. At least empathetic. I don't know if there's something more. Probably not. May- probably mainly empathetic. Hmm. So I don't know what you could do with that, but it's just a what if idea that I haven't fleshed out and thought I'd bring to the table.
1: Huh. It reminds me, in some ways, of Rising Stars, the okay. J. Michael Sierzinski comic. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, just a certain number of. Well, no, it's a town. It's isn't all in it? one town. All yeah. one town that they they get superpowers, and yeah. then if one of them dies, and the rest of them get that person's power. Oh yeah, it is something like that, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean that's a loose sort of. That's just the only reason why yeah. it made me think of it, because, you know, the people of these towns, they kind of think about that. One, if
0: you're connected to someone, they, like, die early in age. Do you have this sense of loss all their Oh, that's interesting.
1: Well, although it also made me wonder, you know, what if you, like, if you had this connection to this absolutely psycho person? Exactly. That might be, like, you might have a story of someone who's really tempted to go get rid of that person. Yes, yeah. So they don't have this other thing to bother with.
0: It'd be an interesting way to analyze, you know, what is our responsibility for each other.
1: Uh, well, yeah, exactly, because there's that, you know, who who wrote that poem? For whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Like, is that John Donne? It might, yeah, it might be John Donne. Um, people know it more because of Hemingway now, but yeah. you know, who the poet, whoever wrote it. But that that same idea that all mankind is connected somehow, and you yeah. lose one person, you lose all. That would be an interesting way to explore that, because I mean, really, we don't normally feel much connection to people who live. Well, sometimes, you know, a few blocks from us, let alone all the way around the
0: world. <laughs> well, and, and fantasy is often done, uh, bring will time. They have this bond between uh, the, the Aes Sedai, the magicians can use, can bond warriors and they will share emotions and tell where people are and then, you know, strengthen each other or uh-huh. uh, like in Twilight Dawn of mine, the, the Rancar, like Otaka, uh-huh. they're kind of born in twins. They're born in pairs oh. and kind of connections and then. He lost his, and that's why he's in exile. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I've ever seen this randomness aspect to it, which adds a you know because normally it's a choice, right? Or or possibly some sort of a family a oriented, blood relation, blood relation yeah. thing. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, would the world be vastly different, and there'd be a lot? I mean, it almost it would almost bring all kinds of uh, civic and uh, spiritual questions to the forefront of your life unless you just learn to ignore it, I suppose. Yeah,
1: especially since it's not like if it's always random, it's not like you're going to have a generational or racial thing. Like, there's always a possibility that like, you're not guaranteed of getting this empathetic connection with someone from your own race, even. Mm-hmm. It could be someone from across the world entirely. Okay, and so you're, so you're your Civil son.
0: War, and you're, you're a Southern slave owner, and you're connected to some slave? Yeah, possibly. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, and then, or... I think that because I just what, what why was... Oh, because I've been reading the, um, not that we're talking about books we're reading, but reading um, Midnight Rising, which is a uh, historical, no, uh, not novel, nonfiction about... Um, and okay. Brown, who did the Harper's Ferry raid. So I'm in kind of right. this Civil War mindset right now. Okay, yeah. but I mean, it could be in some of that, or it could be like, you know,
1: say you're the the son of this racist, and then you have a connection to yeah. this other person. So then you've got not just a, you know, personal, it becomes, you know, against what no, you're doing. No, I
0: assume the one thing that would be in common, we'd be about the same age. As I would assume the... I'm. Oh, well, I guess, when does the bond start? Does it start at birth? Because if so, then you'd have to be born around the same time. Yeah, that's a good question. Or can, does it just come randomly? Uh-huh, another random... Like, event. maybe you could live 30 years without a connection. Without and, ever
1: feeling it, and then all of a sudden you have one. Yeah. Huh.
0: That's
1: interesting. I, and I wonder what sort of societal ramifications it would have. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have civil wars as often because there'd be more people who
0: are more empathetic with people who are, come from a vastly different way of life. Or could it work backfire? And then you know, it's like sometimes the the thing that you most talk against is the thing that you do yourself. Maybe you know you're you don't like this empathy. You know the oh, okay. like yeah. almost like a backlash. Mm-hmm. And for some people, I think there probably be less wars because of it. But right,
1: yeah. For some some people, they'd be like, I hate this person because I keep feeling and love it,
0: hate anything like that. And
1: yeah, yeah, because you hear too much of it. That's interesting. Well, yeah. yeah.
0: I'd be interested to see if it'd be an interesting collection of short stories.
1: It would be. So yeah, people
0: should definitely be taking notes while they're listening to us. If, For... if you if you're interested in doing a short story collection with me sometime on that, contact <laughs> me in about a year. In <laughs> <laughs> about a year. I got another project first. Or two. That also has connections. See, so, right. yeah, I told you it keeps coming up. Yeah. Um <laughs> All right. So did you have a you said you had a did, third I have, one. did I have a third ridiculous oh not really. It was just no, it's not big enough of one. Okay. Do you have
1: one? Well, I hadn't even really thought of... Let me see if I can come up with something real quick.
0: Well, we... Okay, I'll I'll just say, because this is a story. This is for uh, back on... Have I talked about the blue van on this podcast before? I don't think so. Oh, oh, wait. No, yeah, I think so. The Auburn van I used to take to school. Okay. Um, Well, Randolph Johnson and I used to make up ridiculous stories. And one thing that came up, we were learning about all the wonderful properties of water in freshman uh, biology. Uh We spent like two weeks learning about the properties of water and why it's so awesome. Mm. And one of the properties that it's, because of its molecular format, when it's uh, solid, it's actually less dense. Than the liquid, which is odd, so ice cubes float, mm-hmm. and so like ice in a lake stays at the top of the lake. Right. Um, and then we're like, well, what was it? What if? It? And nothing else does that, or very few elements do that. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, what if it worked like all the other elements? And then you know, the ice would sink. Um, and then we thought, well, then um, fish would die in the uh, winter. Okay. Yeah. And so we thought, <laughs> okay, we're we're fre- I think I think it's freshman year. So we decide that the fish would evolutionarily have to come up with uh, some way to not die when it froze, okay. so that they would become rocket fish. So that <laughs> they would migrate every year by, per, like, you know, you stand out and watch them. And, like, in the fall, you there's this mass aerial migration of fish shooting out of the lake going south.
1: Um, That's kind of awesome. <laughs> I can totally see that happening in a Doctor Who world somewhere I've
0: I've once tried to write a short, I started a short story, I just, it's not enough of a plot, it's just more of a scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess I could write a poem, or something. That'd be kind of interesting. But, I mean, it's it's more than a picture, because you have to explain it, but uh, I haven't quite found the right, it's more of a vignette, I guess you could write the, you could almost do a flash fiction of it. Almost, Maybe, yeah. Almost, if you, if you found some character do you know some kid it's his first like, fish first fish migration he's ever watched. I was going to say like an intergalactic tourist
1: trap. Like people <laughs> people come from all over the galaxy to see this phenomenon I like that, that only happens
0: on this planet. I like that. We could do that. They would be fun. <laughs> you know some people it's a good way to catch fish, you know. Set up your nets. See how many. <laughs> well then it could become a contest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's there's your conflict right there there's Is a conflict he, if your main character
0: wins this thing? oh man i'm gonna have, i have to write that i don't write me in flash fiction lately but i have other stuff i'm writing but i've been missing my i've actually been missing my flash fictions i always have a lot been, yeah of, i i really enjoyed them but it's a different mindset from what i'm longer stuff i'm writing right now yeah, yeah. you gotta take a complete break and remove and- mm-hmm. i'll do that. i'll do a month of flash fictions one of these days
1: that that's a fun i'm glad you mentioned that <laughs>
0: It's how if you read my uh, what's it called? Schools out, flash fiction. Okay. That came from the blue van too. And we were just talking about what if we are talking. We were driving, you know, we're driving back and forth on I-69. Uh-huh. You know, what if the ro- roads were conveyor belts, and then we made right. a transcontinental conveyor belt, and then mm-hmm. we said, you know, you could have houses on it, and nice. is that all built? And then I I wrote that into school, schools out. So if you want to go to my website and you know, look under flash fictions, read schools out. That's what that came up with
1: nice promo hey
0: thank you (laughs) um okay i'm drawing a blank in terms of
1: coming up with a what if on the spot that's fine those were the
0: three i thought of so those (laughs) i i
1: I really like that last one (laughs) i kind of do want to see a flash fiction of that okay i'll have to do that
0: hey i did the i did the asteroid one from our last brainstorm that's true which was actually one of my favorites uh, (laughs) humor wise
1: it was it was hilarious (laughs) Right. <laughs> all right, well, I came up with the what-if question last time, so yeah, I'm that's gonna, true. I'm going to say I'm covered. Well,
0: Tim, up. if you think of it, Tim and I are thinking about starting more uh, bloggy sort of stuff on our website. Yes. So if you think of it, throw it all up. as a little thing. Well, throw it off in the
1: blog, yeah. yeah. Because we, we realized, you know, we had talked about for a while coming up with, like, sidetracks for, like, you know, if we add, to add one more thing, which is sort yeah. of what we do with the 20th episode. But even then, we forgot stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Um, but... Nick came up with this idea to uh, maybe include some actual, you know, just little some posts on the little, on our blog,
0: little thoughts and tidbits and afterthoughts, and since it is a blog, technically, yeah. So you can have more derailing the thought in your month. Yes,
1: since the podcast will probably still remain monthly yeah. for the foreseeable future. So,
0: all right, cool. all right. Um, I guess we'll sign out with a soundtrack and. Contact info. I'm like, what is it called? What, what do we, it you, what what do we it... usually do at the end of the episode? Um, are you thinking what I'm thinking, brain? Well, possibly, but I don't know how they fit in those skirts. <laughs> yeah, but they call them sad meals. I don't think anyone would buy them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they have rumber underwear our size, brain.
1: <laughs> you, see, you're actually coming up with quotes. I just made that up.
0: Oh, no, those were ones that were, yeah. Yeah, I figured
1: those were real quotes. Those, yeah, I think those were real
0: ones. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Time for contact info. We're talking about our blog. And if you've forgotten where that
1: is, it is the Trains of
0: Subscribe to us on iTunes or email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. So those are some very simple ways to keep
1: in touch. And again, Whoa. we're still saying that there is something bigger coming up
0: that is not ready yet. <laughs> it's getting closer. I mean, it's uh, progress is being made. Uh, you know, yes. it's a very exciting passive sentence here. <laughs>
1: Progress is being made. More definitive than uh, if this was a film sort of project, we'd say that we're past most of the pre-production and we're into the production. That's true. I guess we can,
0: we can we can say this is our, our world building episode. Mm-hmm. There's a good chunk we've been doing a lot of world building. This is true. Substantial <laughs> amounts of world building. <laughs> Just when we thought we were done. In we committee. There was yeah. more. <laughs>
1: world-building. Committee
0: world building is not the easiest thing to do. No, it's, cool. it, it's. I mean, it comes up with a lot of neat stuff, but it's...
1: yeah. Well, the difference is between one and two people, like what we're doing, just throwing stuff out, and then like doing a slightly larger group yeah.
0: with lots of people throwing ideas out. It's, well, but if you like original fiction, there may be something for you in the next six months. <laughs> I don't know. We don't have a timeline yet. At
1: one point, I think we said end of summer. Hopefully, maybe. Maybe mid-fall. We might have a more official, we might be able to put out a more official announcement by end of summer.
0: That's true. It will have something, we might just have a promo. That's possible.
1: Book, you know, yeah. we'll, anyway, um, we're done yes. talking about stuff that you don't understand. So,
0: uh, I'll go with my soundtrack before we sign out here. I am doing, since we were doing world building, I thought we'd go do one of the famous video games, which would be SimCity 2000, where you build a city. Mm-hmm. Um, this is remixed by Dr. Velvet and Halo Zero <laughs> wow. and it is uh, called Sim Funkadelic and it's quite funky yeah I, th- I think it's funny too for uh, being from
1: SimCity 2000 I think it has a a certain '90s vibe to it. <laughs> like you get almost see a certain, some talk shows opening with us or something. Nice.
0: So I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I think I've been bringing a lot of funky music in the last couple episodes, but Nothing hey, wrong with that. it's always good. Yeah. So that's all we've got. We're going to sit here and enjoy some more stories, and uh, we'll see you later.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go hear this story about uh, these two kids, Baron and Luthien. And I I hear it's a pretty exciting. I, I hear there's a better, uh, yeah, a pretty good one. So, so cool. Okay.
0: This has been Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye-bye. your simerels belong to us <laughs> 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 you better know the elves here you say that <laughs>